When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Hello and welcome to Blood and Mud, the podcast that, well, just really wishes those semi-finals were better. Yeah, sorry I mean, to set it off on a but they they were they were sort of very kind of like everything went roughly as I expected it, but with scorelines yeah. even more lopsided than I anticipated. More on that later. Yes, I am Lee, and over there. Now unhooked from the iron lung after a bit of just a, temporarily, yeah, temporarily is, free to walk around again. Uh, I'm Josh, still just about. So what have you been up to then? Did you did you over did you overreach yourself? Or I think I might have slightly. I went uh, I went away this weekend uh, to uh, to Suffolk, to Alderborough, and places like that with uh, my wife and my in laws. Did a lot of walking. Um, got fucking soaked many times. I don't. I'm not being funny, right? I know some people love going on holiday in Britain. Why no, it's a disgrace. It's fucking... twice the price and half yeah, the that's weather. The thing, it's really expensive and you get fucking rained on all the time. And also, the I, fun in that? I went to Norfolk. I know Suffolk isn't Norfolk, but it is. It nearly is, yeah. And I went to Norfolk once on the broads on a boat. Been there, done that, yeah. And 
I, the entire place unnerved me, and not just from a kind of wicker man sort of point of view. <laughs> just, just I, I've, I don't trust because I'm from Lancashire, and then moved to Wales. Nothing that flat. It just completely makes me feel unnerved. I and being agree on a country lane when you can see for miles around is just bizarre. <laughs> I'm used to be able to see like beyond, not even over the top of the hedge normally on a country lane. I found that when I moved to uh, to Coventry for a year because you know that that part of the world's also pretty flat. It's not Norfolk flat, but it's flat enough. And I felt genuinely, because it was the first time I'd lived outside of the valleys. I felt genuinely quite exposed. Like just looking around and there's no mountains around you. Moving like... from the valleys must be really weird as well because you don't have to go all the way down a valley to get to another part of where you live. Yeah, when somebody when somebody says it's you know something that's like three miles away doesn't take a forty five minute drive where you have to go down to one <laughs> yeah. valley and then up the other like, you just yeah. drive in a straight line. Amazing. Same as going to like Lincolnshire and places like that. It's just like straight lines across. Flat Playing away match in the rugby, a number of times that happened. Hello, we're looking for Sang <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you're in the wrong valley, bet. Got to go all that. Like, what? <laughs> you got to go down to Ponty and <laughs> do the Vark, not the Vower. <laughs> see if i here. Don't follow that one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, British holidays not sold. I mean, to be fair, it's a lovely part of the world, but I just, just don't like getting rained on. I went to Cornwall, right? And yeah. As you know, um, to to stay a couple of days with my brother-in-law, and he'd mm. he's got small kids as opposed to mine, and his kids are like under under ten, mm. and he'd hired a three-bedroom house just not far from St Arvies for two weeks. I won't tell you how much it is because it's Fucking, not fair. I can right? imagine. But he told me, and I said, "And you've not even got on a fucking plane." And that's how much it's cost you. You've had to bring your own car and everything. And he was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, that is fucking unbelievable. It takes ages. It's like a five-hour drive. To Suffolk. To to fucking Alderborough. I went to Ipswich. Which is basically as far east as it can go. I have been to I went to Ipswich once with work when I was living in Cardiff. Mm. And I thought, you know, I think you might know the story, but I'll tell it again anyway. It was was the day, it was 9-11. Oh, fuck. Because I was at the, I was at Adastral Park, which is the BT Development Technology Fancy I, Fancy Library. I drove past that just uh, just on this weekend. I was like, yeah. what the fuck is, there was a weird massive tower thing with oh, BT yeah. written on the side. I was like, what the fuck is that? So yeah, so we went there because yeah. I was part of an e-commerce team when that was like a really exciting thing. So 2001, mm. obviously. And they were showing us what non-dial-up internet looked like. They were like, they had two pictures loaded next to each other. They were going, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, because it was like, what was it called? What was the one after dial-up? What was it called? Uh, DSL. DSL, it? that's yeah, it. Yeah. So look at the speed. We're like, Jesus Christ, imagine the pictures, the speed they'll load. I'm not saying what pictures we would look at and the speed they would load. But but everyone was thinking it. And they, and they showed us a prototype of, of a sort of a smartphone. Oh, wow. And the news was on it. And it, the news was the tower smoking, but because Jesus. it was the size, it was the size of like I don't know, a post-it note, a yeah. tiny post-it. Note. It, in my head, it looked like somebody had flown like a biplane and it had bounced off or something. 
And I was like, oh, that's bad, bloody hell, that's crazy. And then throughout the day, we were picking up the news. I then had to drive. Jesus. There was no internet then, obviously, no YouTube, no catch-up TV and stuff. So I had to drive all the way from Ipswich back to Cardiff, listening to it on the radio. Still hadn't seen the towers fall, but knew it had happened. This is, you know, this is like, it's virtually like I said I was on fucking Noah's Ark now, isn't it? It was like 19 <laughs> years ago. And then I got home, and we had, had the NTL cable, as it was in Cardiff. I said to my wife, because you've got to watch this. And I just sat there like, you know, a gog. But yeah, so there you fucking go. So that's, that I have yeah. been to Suffolk, because I went to Ipswich for that. <laughs> a day that will live in infamy for a variety of Because I had to go to Ipswich <laughs> and drive back. And I drove all the yeah. way back in a hired Fiat Stilo that I do remember. Oh, but it's fucking miles, you're right. And when I drove yeah. to Norfolk from here, from, from North Wales, could you, you like, get to the M, end of the M6? Because it's not really anywhere, is it? You're like, no. You get to the end of the M6 and do a left and just drive for what feels like about <laughs> three weeks until you get to a shit flat place. But it's just like Folkestone, right? Biggest container port in Britain. And yet it's a good hour's drive to the nearest motorway. Britain However, in a nutshell there. But when my mates saw the darkness, when they walked on, speaking of that part of the world, they did walk on and say, hello, we are the darkness from Lowestoft, Britain's most instantly point. Let's rock. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you can't argue that they weren't entirely factual at all times, <laughs> the darkness. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, anyway, so that Suffolk, was my weekend. I, Suffolk, yeah. What else do we know about Norfolk? There's another reason why it shouldn't be trusted. Ben Young's is from there. Oh, yeah. Well, that goes without saying, doesn't it? So what did you do with your weekend, Lee? Um, I was working for The Guardian. Oh, yeah, you were. You were, doing, was you were on the old MBM, matches. You? I had to cover both live matches. I mean, you know, to say it wasn't exactly a blockbuster draw to The Guardian's mm. website that day when looking at the stats, I did wonder what the hell I was doing there, really. Not it's as much as the people who whole... were reading it, obviously, but hey. But... Like... The NBA season finished last night, or the night before. The right? Lakers won it again, didn't they? The Lakers won it, yeah. LeBron won it. It was all very, quite, you know, quite feel-good, quite sort of, you know, mm. emotive. And yet, and the NBA has arguably handled this whole COVID thing better than anybody else. They haven't had a single positive test in their Disney World bubble this whole time. And yet, quite a lot of people were just like... Just glad the season's over now, to be honest, because it feels so weird and so wrong. You know, the season should have finished in like June or July or something, and we're in October, and the season is, you know, and it wasn't like they came back and finished it. It was they came back and they played fucking shit loads of, but you know, they they've been in the bubble since before the rugby season came back. And basketball's and they, a bit like the baseball. It's like two. There's there's no need for the amount of matches they play, is there? Other than the fact that they no, do. No, and so, and the bubble thing, as, as you know, these people have been living in a bubble for months. Literally, you know, they've been cut off from the outside world since the 22nd of July. In Disney World, eating nothing but Tex-Mex food. <laughs> and, you know, they haven't, like, that's not just, like, don't get me wrong, like, they've been living in the lap of luxury, but they've still been living in Disney World in a bubble since the end of July, and it's mid-October. A gilded cage is still a cage, Josh. Exactly, and everybody was just like... I think I genuinely feel like everyone's just fucking bored <laughs> and just wanted it to be over. And that's kind of how I feel about this premiership season. <laughs> like, 
gone on for so long. All the way around to that. It's gone on for so long now. And it's sort of, it's reached the point where it's just fucking pointless. Because it's like, everybody knows Exeter's going to win. They've known this for, you know, they could have called the season and just gone straight to to the final with the top two teams at the, you know, at the break and play, or maybe just played the playoffs. Nobody would, you know, okay, Wasps and Bath wouldn't have had the chance to do what they did. But ultimately, there was only ever going to be one team that wins it this season. There still is going to be only one team that wins it this season. And it just feels like we've played months of pointless rugby to get to this point. And he's on just, fire early, Lizzie, but he's on fire early. <laughs> he's pumping just, up the action already. I just feel like there's, there's been no point. Like as, as as much as I'm sure it's been a great, you know, it's all it's done over the last couple of months is totally kind of devalue and trash everything about the Premiership's brand in a variety of ways. And we're here. We are. On the week, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, Exeter are going to beat Wasps and win the title. European Cup Whoa. final Saturday, though. Well, exactly. That's you know, it's 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 got in the way of that as well. You know, just that feels anyway, like it's been going on for what? ages. It's all been going on for ages, is what I'm saying. Cool, just cool fucking... your misery, Jets, just for a minute, will you? Until we get a bit later on. I know you've had a tough day or so, breathing <laughs> and that, but you need to. <laughs> Yes, I worked the semi. I didn't get up at four a.m. Yeah, yeah. to watch the Bledisloe game. No, I just recorded that like a normal person. Avoided. Of course, I woke up in the morning it. and checked in with a little rugby group chat that we're part of, and everyone was fucking losing all their shit. So I thought, well, I need to watch this. Yeah, <laughs> well, I would have done it anyway, but I watched it quicker than I would have done. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. More of that later. Yeah. More of that later. Yeah. So if you want to get in touch with us, um, I'm at Blood and Mud or Lee at Blood and Josh, you are. Uh, at Josh Gardner on Twitter, uh, Rugby Shirt Watch on Twitter, RugbyShirtWatch.com. Shitloads of clicks to Rugby Shirt Watch now that Rugby World have, have taken over the chit chat. Um, and... <laughs> uh, no, I'll be I'll be taking some money off them to do it instead. Um, oh, you've agreed that? So... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I'll be doing some some uh, some bits and bobs for for Rugby World's Rugby Shirt. Output. Okay, um, our little written media empire. Little, well, little side hustles, we won't have yeah. to retrain for cyber, will we? <laughs> no, we won't. And I'm going to make sorted. more money doing. I'm going to make more money doing a couple of articles for Rugby World than I have in about the last five years from the actual website. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> don't ever let anyone tell you that this side hustle thing is profitable, guys. I mean, we're doing okay. Yeah, exactly. We do okay, don't we? Unlike that poor we ballerina woman who has to retrain for cyber, that yeah. ballerina lady. So <laughs> we are we are loaded for cyber. What is cyber? They don't even cyber what? Security? Online? I don't I don't know. It's a load of cock, isn't it? It just means like get, they should have just written in massive letters, get yourself a fucking proper job. <laughs> yeah, you skivvy artists. Yeah, because obviously being training for years and getting paid to doing something highly skilled is clearly <laughs> not a proper job. Like, so that gives loads of that gives loads of other people lots of pleasure yeah. and enjoyment and relaxation from their Monday lives. Nobody ever lives. says that like being a footballer is not a proper job, do they? Even though the level <laughs> of athleticism and training and dedication to your craft is probably exactly the probably same, yeah. or worse if you're a lazy yeah. footballer. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, we're yeah. on Acast, we're on Apple, we're we on are. patreon.com we slash blood and mud where 
We thank you all for your contributions. We've gone to the pounds this week. Thank you, everybody who's converted to the pounds and makes it a bit easier for you, a bit easier for us. Thanks for people who've signed up, uh, new people who signed up for annual memberships. Uh, Indeed. Just thanks for it all, really. Just thankful. Yeah, you know, we joke. But gratitude yeah, diary we're, and all that. We're genuinely very, you know, on the reg, shocked and touched that as many of you decide to, yeah. to fork out a bit of your hard earned to. It's compulsory, to support us. but we love everybody who supports us. It's not compulsory. Yeah, absolutely. But we love everybody who supports us. <laughs> no, no, it is compulsory. It's compulsory. More than we do. You know, it might work. So really, yeah. it's compulsory. <laughs> if you really yeah. like us, it's what you should be doing. But, yeah. you know, we'll leave it there. So you can pay two quid and get all your extras, you can. like you know, mm-hmm. history episodes, retro episodes. Speaking of retro episodes, we are going to do, we're aiming to do, uh, sort of European Cup finals retro episodes. Yes. We'll, so we'll be picking a few of them. If you fancy, why not suggest which European finals you'd like us to cover? If you're a patron, yeah, the rest of line. you can fuck off. But if you're a patron... Yeah, 2000, word up, 2011 will feature... So don't worry about that one. I'll yeah. tell my story about how I was really hung over again. <laughs> and yeah, and everybody else can <laughs> submit or not. We'll ignore yeah. it or maybe we won't. But if you do, that's a two quid one, or you can do the five quid one as it is now, and you get us pitching what kind of rugby player we think you are. We've had a three yes. lovely people this week. I did get one coming just before we started recording, so I'm sorry for that person if you're expecting it, but it'll be next week. So first up coming in, who's come straight through the door, New new person straight in, kind of coming and blown the that. door, blown the I door off its that. hinges with an annual membership. Oh, I've come here That's to how... kick ass and chew bubble gum. He said after he booted the door down, <laughs> and he's all out of gum. And he's all out of gum. I've have some money, and that man is Lee Kelly. It is. What have I got for Lee Kelly? Lee Kelly was on the books of both Bolton Wanderers and Sale. Where he played, Hello. Lee was a fullback in both sports. Ooh. He ultimately chose rugby after he missed the penalty so badly in a junior cup final that he had to retire from football on the spot. I mean, it does happen, to be fair. So, and you're never going to do that in rugby. You're never going to miss a penalty in that sort of high pressure situation unless you're Martin Williams. <sighs> Sorry, I just made myself sad again. Martin O'Neill did that, you know. You know, Martin O'Neill, football manager from Northern mm. Ireland, he missed a penalty in a junior cup final for Derry in the Gaelic football and not long after decided to go outside for Nottingham Forest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that turned of, out all right for him. Let's be honest, it turned out all right It's sort of like that, that game against West Brom where Gary Neville had the, one of the worst 45 minutes of his career that you'll ever see and he just got absolutely unsubbed at half time and then he basically was just like, yeah, I've, that's enough for me, I'm done. Was it it's for good Tottenham when you last know. year when Eric Dyer got substituted after 22 minutes? It was something like that, yeah. The Adam Jones. <laughs> but not for health reasons. Just <laughs> not for, for health shit reasons. <laughs> what, have you, what kind of rugby player is Lee Kelly to you, John? Uh, Lee, for me, is an abrasive outside half of Plymouth Irish RFC. Uh, despite never having been to the land of his grandfather's birth, he's taken it upon himself to embody every Irish stereotype that he can think of, uh, much to the annoyance of everybody else on the team. Uh, the only reason he hasn't been fucked off is because he's the only player at the club who can kick a goal from outside the 22. Good one. Next up, thank you, Lee. Next up, we've got David Gudger. Indeed. Uh, David is a talented and skillful outside centre for Smithbrook Ball Droppers RFC. 
Uh, nobody has realised this in five seasons, unfortunately, though, because his ultra-conservative coach absolutely refuses to allow the ball to get past the 12. Uh, and then only if the 12s run in a crash ball line. Otherwise, it's 10-man rugby for 80 minutes. 9-3 score lines. Thank you very much. Uh, David lies aw- Yeah, David lies awake at night, though, wondering what it must be like to make an outside break. Oh. And he'll never know. David Goodger, I've got him. He was an absolute master of informal touch rugby down the park. Pick up oh, touch rugby, if you like. Love that um, stuff. Also, when a teenager, and doing, uh, doing this, he was the only lad who bought a big bottle of juice down uh. the park, down said park. Weak Kiora, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> after an hour, after an hour, all the other people will be asking him to, to have a bit of his drink because obviously they'll be knackered, but he's brought mm. it with him. To which his response was always, I'll save you some because of his fear of floaters. Oh, see. I mean, it's a rash. It's particularly, I feel like maybe I just don't share drinks anymore. But I feel like floaters are a very anymore. 90s concern. Yeah, yeah. I, no, but you certainly not in the age of. Certainly but, not in the age of COVID. But when hell. you're a teenager, I think it's different now. But when I was a teenager, back in the day, nobody ever took a drink with them anywhere. No, I think this is something that is like society's attitude to hydration has changed Enormously, quite dramatically. Enormously, even for the young. In, like you'd play yeah. for two hours and like literally be probably like having a hypoxic <laughs> episode. I, ge- I genuinely don't think I drank water until I was in my 20s. I don't drink water now. <laughs> I, I, I abhor it, honestly. Unless it's I mean, making I'm... up tea or the bit of Diet Coke that's water, I'm not interested. It's got water in it, isn't it? It's, I mean, let's be honest, Diet Coke, I've got a glass of Diet Coke on me right now. How much of that's water? Most of it. What are you moaning about? Yep. I just, dropped, I just dropped my coaster to show off my, my PM. We've discussed the very merits of Pepsi Max versus Diet Coke before. Let's not yeah. go there again. Um, yeah, but no, I, I, kids drink. Like, I've water bottles to go to school and shit now, don't they? Yeah. It's fucking mental. Makes no sense. Well, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. Hydration's really important. But it's weird that we only worked this out in the last 10 to 15 years. And we've killed the ocean species now. Is that, you know, wouldn't you rather be, like, knackered, in the, sweated in the park, <laughs> begging for a drink off David, than poisoning <laughs> the fucking oceans? Hey, is that what you wanted? Yeah. yeah. Or would you just rather bring a bottle of water with you? Yeah. It's weird that we haven't. I didn't even have a water bottle. Do you know what I mean? No, no, and, I. and I've got. I mean, I, do, I do cycling, but I go into there's a cupboard in my kitchen which has probably got about seven water bottles in it, like the squeezy, you know, exercise yeah, yeah, yeah. type. Anyway, That's... David, thank you very much indeed for that little trip down down memory lane that you've inadvertently given us. Next up, we've got Martin Bell. Martin Bell was an outstanding number eight for Mosley in the 90s. He refused to turn professional in 1996 as his job as a double glazing installer was, in his words, Moy Empire. (laughs) I appreciate the the accent. (laughs) Because he was Indian, you know. Obviously, yeah. Uh, for me, Martin Bell is a long line, in fact, of Bellmen have represented uh, old boys, old boys, RFC. Uh, and Martin might not be the best. He might not be the most committed. He might not even be the most well-liked. But by God, his family have bankrolled this club for 50 years. And so if and when he can be asked to turn up, you can bet your arse he's wearing the number six jersey, no matter what anybody else thinks. Good man. Thank you, Lee, David and Martin, for your VIP contribution to Indeed. support us. We begin as we always begin. 21 minutes. Player spotted. 
Of course. John Jordan DMs, and he says, I was in Ranla, Ranla, which is a fancy, or Ranalar, take your pick, is a fancy South Dublin area close to Donnybrook, the RDS, etc. Johnny mm-hmm. Sexton was reversing his big SUV, of course it is. Of course. Into a parking spot on the side of the road. One can only imagine if he was going to the Tesco. I can only imagine it's because he was going to the Tesco Express, the dry cleaners, or the butchers, which is there. But it's an artisan butcher. It's in that part yeah. of town. If it's an artisan butcher, butcher. If it's, uh, I mean, maybe surely he gets like he doesn't need to get stuff dry cleaned. All of his fucking number ones and everything will be IRFU number ones. Surely you'd have thought and so, like unless that. he's unless he's a, a blazer with jeans man. He probably you is. You would not put it past him, would you? You wouldn't. Uh, John said, I didn't stick around to see if he paid for the parking or not, as most don't, and just nip to the shop anyway. <sighs> I mean, he's I mean, already getting a fucking tax break, and then he's not paying for parking. <laughs> Pay it forward, for God's sake. <laughs> Pay it forward, yeah. He's, John said, I did text my wife that Sexton did most of the work, and then Ian Madigan came in and finished the job, which really? dates the sighting. Yeah, it rather does. Thank you, John. Although, so, you know, lots of people say that he should be back in, in the Island squad. They're wrong, but people are saying it. Sign of the times, middle class, middle class test, Josh. Have you ever mm-hmm. ordered fancy meats from an artisan butcher's and had it delivered online? <laughs> I can honestly, truly say that I have not yet. I have done that. I mean, I'm not, not through want of wanting. I just haven't had the opportunity. I think I bought a load of steaks from some place in Scotland, and it comes like wrapped. Like fucking great idea! In a polystyrene box packed with ice, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I might have ordered some fucking obscenely expensive turkey one Christmas from some fucking rich cunt's estate. <laughs> I mean, I haven't ordered artisan meats in the post, but I have ordered artisan donuts in the post. So. That is another level entirely. That's wonderful. <laughs> what 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 class is an artisan donor? What brand is well, that? Well, if you you can, you can uh, some listeners may or may not be familiar with Donut Time, the uh, the bougie fucking wanky donut shop in London. Donut um, Time. Yeah. Right. Very nice. Really, really nice donuts. Right. Um, and they will send you a kit in the post with some donuts and. Because they don't want to get fucked up, they send you some sachets of glaze as well, and like all the paraphernalia and the hundreds and thousands, and then you get the donuts and you glaze them yourself and your hundred thousands of them, and then you've got your donuts. Build yourself, build your own donut kit. I think it's supposed to be for kids, but fuck it. <laughs> Did you um, was the glaze <laughs> left over that you could drink or use? Eat with your fingers. They they gave a very very specific amount of glaze, which Tight is per, pretty much perfect for the donuts. It's very very good glaze, though. Got to give it to them. I mean, but they had to be pretty well protected, I imagine, because they're not yeah, a in sturdy a product, are they? In a donuts? big box and everything. Yeah. Fair As I found out, I went to France mm. uh, to see some friends of the family. This is when I was in Geneva, and, and they balled up my car hire, and they gave me a Mercedes S Class, the poshest car I've ever driven. Yeah. And I reversed it into a wall. Um, even though I had a 360 camera on it and everything. One of my greatest achievements, that. But anyway, we were going to see this French family, and I said, I know what, I'm, I'm a northern man, Josh. I love an Eccles cake. Bloody I mean, love I, I, would, I, would have, I would have questioned your northernness if you didn't. So honest. I said, well, these are brilliant little, you know, the raisins and the pastry and all that. I thought this would be great to take as a, as a regional yeah. treat to the French. Yeah. They like a bit of regional food, don't they? Exactly. 
Of course, I'd completely forgotten that it's the pastry of it. Long story short, you get out in France and it's basically like a bag of dust with <laughs> with, with a sort of hockey puck of raisins left over. I said, we brought you this northern delicacy. You know that look that the French do? Yeah. It was that. I know that. Exactly. And they yeah, tried yeah. To, They tried the best to look polite as they put them on the sideboard, obviously thinking, I'll just leave that there to just not fuck off and then I'll never have to speak of this again. So yeah, not rather than taking coals to Newcastle, <laughs> taking Eccles cakes to um Oh dear. Yes. I mean worse things. I mean I should actually no, they probably haven't been delivered worse things than a bag of northern dust, have they? The uh, no exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well they have. I mean they've been they've been invaded by the Nazis. That's, that's true, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's as much the fault of the Maginot line as anything else. Though, it is, but yeah. Let's, let's not go I there. bet they wish there was a fucking Maginot line to keep the Eccles cakes out there. <laughs> right. Speaking of the military... Mm, and that a nice little segue that there. That was genuinely not even planned. That's just how yeah. in deep... This is how professional we are now. Honestly. Speaking of the military, obviously we have military animal of the week. Obviously, because they're saying the most important part of the podcast. And people now just send them to us. Yep. So I'd like to thank David Cadwallader, who messaged via Patreon. I don't know if he joined via Patreon just to send us this to get our attention. <laughs> but he suggested for this week's military animal, Sergeant Stubby. Honestly, this is one of my favourites. I mean, you've got to look. For... I mean, if you haven't looked at him, I mean, obviously you're all looking now. So you've probably yeah. seen these animals and you're just waiting for them to come along. But you've got to look at Sergeant Stubby because. I mean, he's what he's 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 what can best be described as a what a sort of a pit bull cross, a Staffordshire bull terrier cross type he's thing. He's some sort of you know he is a stubby little terrier of some kind, muscly sort of little yeah, thing, little little shit. If I'm honest, he looks like he's a little bastard, and I mean that as an absolute compliment. Born in 1916, lived till 1926. Start of the First World War in America, not in America, an American soldier. Hmm. By the end of the war, he's got his own jacket with the medals pinned to it and everything. Oh, such a strong look, that as well. Obviously, achieved the rank of sergeant. Obviously. He's yeah. in the 102nd Infantry Regiment, 26th bracket Yankee Division, close bracket. Served for 18 months uh, on the front lines and participated in 17 battles on the Western Front. 17 battles. And what's more, he also saved his regiment from a surprise mustard gas attack and found he's and the wounded. Yeah, and allegedly, and this is lovely, uh, once caught a German soldier by the seat of his pants, holding him there until American soldiers found him. See now, how does that actually work? In because I've seen how that goes in cartoons. Yeah, but is he? Is he literally? Is the, that German soldier not moving because Sergeant Stubby is clamped full on his bollocks? Well, dogs like that. I know. I I grew up with having Staffordshire Bull Terriers as my pet, mm. and he looks a bit like that kind of breed. Yeah, and they. These breeds, one, are very powerful jaws, and two, their jaws actually lock Yeah. when they bite down. It's one of the biggest mm. reasons why they can be dangerous dogs if they're not controlled properly. So I can see it happening in that he could bite down on it, but he's not that big a dog. I'm pretty sure a fully trained soldier should be able to run off even with a dog You'd hanging off so, his arse. Wouldn't you? Unless he was like, oh, it's a dog, I can't do that, for God's sake. Oh, so they're all armed. Yeah, <laughs> you think they, you know if they, if they can bayonet? Maybe that's what it is. They can, they can bayonet men, but they can't bayonet dogs. This is the trick yeah. that people figured out. Yeah. yeah, I love the fact that he's got a dog tag as well, like a proper dog tag. <laughs> he's been called the most decorated war dog of World War One. 
Mm. The only dog yeah. to be nominated for rank and then promoted to sergeant through combat, not as like a ceremonial thing. Proper promotion. Had a great war, got himself promoted. <laughs> uh, he was injured by mustard gas, apparently, in the first year of battle, and then he, he returned with a specially designed gas mask that was designed to protect him. Um, and then he looked, because he could obviously had a very good sense of smell, he could then warn of poison gas attacks. And then he could also locate, uh, locate wounded soldiers in no man's land. And he could also hear artillery shells before uh, humans because of his excellent hearing. And he became very adept at alerting his unit when to duck for cover. He's basically a fucking genius. Yeah. And why did like, like his origin story, like so many military animals of the dog stroke cat variety? Because horses are all in the army, basically, aren't they? And so are pigeons. They've got a specific job to do. Yeah. But back then, even through to the Second World War, the origin story is the same. Somebody just smuggled him in. Yeah. There's no like. There's no. There was no like regimental recognition for him. Somebody just stuck him under his coat and took him to France, which, in one one level, is quite a cruel thing to do to an animal. (laughs) Yeah, taking him to war. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't want to go, boss. Well, you go anyway. Apparently, when when the the dogs. Owner slash handler was uh, a chap called Conroy. Uh, what's his mm. name? James Robert, uh, Robert Conroy. Yes. Robert Conroy. Yeah. Um, he so he smuggled him, and then when his commanding officer discovered Stubby, uh, Stubby saluted him as he'd been trained to in camp, uh, and the commanding officer was so impressed that he allowed the dog to stay. I'm assuming that's like a shake in the paw type maneuver. Yeah, he basically paw. he just I, taught him to do that, didn't he? I don't think yeah. an, a dog can get his paw up to his head. He can way. scratch behind his ear, surely. Well, so like, like, though. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, it works. Good for you, Stubby. Yeah. Anyway, he met uh, about three presidents in the end. He did. I mean, he also was the subject of uh, a CGI animated film that was released in uh, 2018 called Sergeant Stubby, an American Hero. Uh, and frankly, despite the fact that they somehow roped Helena Bonham Carter and Gerard Depardieu, into the production. Um, I mean, how drunk was Depardieu to be agreeing oh, to this at this stage? Plain pissing drunk at this point, <laughs> clearly. Uh, it genuinely looks like quite a poor approximation. Uh, it looks really cheap. You can find the trailer online, and I'm angry on his behalf that he got such a piss poor treatment. However, uh, CGI Stubby is quite cute. I'll give him that. It, it struggled the weekend it was released, though, because it was released the same weekend as Avengers Infinity War and Rampage with The Rock. <laughs> I mean, that's who's planned that? Yeah. He deserves yeah. better we'll than that. just go head-to-head with that, yeah. Uh, I'm also... that weird November month when nobody's actually going to cinema anymore. <laughs> I'm also angry, uh, in addition to the fact that it doesn't seem like it's a very good film. Um, I'm angry it got made, but I'm also angry that it got made ahead of the whole Ruckley Expanded Universe film that uh, remains on the Hollywood blacklist. Uh, it grossed less than $5 million against its $25 million budget. Uh, it's, got so... a, it's got a 90% tomatoometer as well on Rotten Tomatoes. Is that good or bad? I get confused with Rotten Tomatoes. That's good, isn't it? Uh, approval rating of 89% is good. Uh, an average review rating of 6.83 out of 10, which is not bad. The critical consensus reads, Sergeant Stubby, an American hero, opens a vibrantly animated window into history with a surprisingly true and poignant tale of a distinguished canine combat veteran. Uh, on Metacritic, it's got 58 out of 100. Um, and CinemaScore gave the film a grade of A, which is 
one A plus is as good as it gets. Which just shows you that the amount of sympathy fucking reviews you get when you make when you make a film about a dog war hero <laughs> is definitely the way to go, isn't it? So have a look at Sergeant Stubby online, everyone, because if any forget how many stories, a wonderful story. Indeed, and there's also there's been a spin-off uh, called Stubby and Friends, which is a web comic starring Stubby and his friends. And Stubby the series is apparently on the way. Despite losing tw- t- tanking twenty million dollars at the box office, he somehow got a spin-off. Died in his sleep in March 1926, aged ten, a venerable age for a hound. Indeed. Um, after his, why did they do this to them? After his desk, he was preserved with his skin mounted on a plaster cast in the Smithsonian. Why do they do that? Why do they let these people, these things rest in peace? Just just display their medals and tell their story. You don't have to have some hideous fucking preserved version of them frightening kids. If you're going to do it, do it like taxidermy. Don't fucking lop his skin onto a plaster cast. That's that's some fucking... Don't just effectively hang his his dismembered skin off the back of a fucking chair in a museum, basically. (laughs) What is I mean? Where, what a sick mind just thought that would make a good fucking museum exhibit? What's in the box, Somerset? <laughs> is it his skin? <laughs> if you do this, they'd have won. He'll have won anyway. Right, so there you go. That's military animal of the week. Sergeant Stubby. Look at a photo of him. No, he really is the best. He really He's an is. Outstanding... And the best dogs are the mongrel ones. Generally speaking, true that. Everyone should RTV. have a mongrel. Go and get a mongrel from the rescue. It's not fucking yeah. about Now, right now. And I mean a proper mongrel, not something that has a fucking name. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not, not a thing that's got a specific crossbreed, something that is just the result of a night of mad passion between two animals, what were not meant to get together. What's the, Yeah, what, what's, the, what's the difference between a mongrel and a cockapoo-jean? I mean, quite a lot of money. Yeah, about, about yeah. 700 quid a puppy, yeah, basically. Yeah. Shall we talk about the news? I mean, I suppose so, yeah. If, I, feel, if I kind must. of feel like we've peaked. I feel like we've peaked as a podcast at that point, but let's just let's power on. Fuck it. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. So, um, do, do we want to do the trans women thing? Yeah, World Rugby has finally broken cover with the whole... The most predictable ruling that was ever... The most predictable ruling ever that, you know, all those, you know, we had the symposium leaked uh, a few months ago and World Rugby has finally quietly put out the guidelines that they're actually bringing in, which, look, we won't go... You know know where we stand. We've discussed this at great length in the past. Um... The only thing that I think is interesting about the final version is that aside from Test Rugby, um, where they've gone, 
we're not having any transgender athletes in test rugby, which to be honest with you, not a problem because there never has been any. Um, yeah. Um, they've basically abdicated any kind of moral or legal responsibility for everything else and gone individual unions. You can just start, we will recommend you do this, but you can decide how you want to implement it, which is <laughs> both enables some very unpleasant people to claim that they've won something and also putting the burden of actually deciding to exclude transgender athletes onto individual unions, which is a bit shit, isn't it? But Some of which have already come out and said that they're not that they won't be following that lead. But is it but I think it's a weird one because given how the given how the science has been I'm not gonna go into this too much, I'm just gonna say what I think and we're not going around this range, but given how the science has been presented, I think World Rugby is a corporate body have given themselves no wiggle room but to make this ruling. And, no, a whole, I, and, and we've had a whole discussion about how the science was presented, and I think you can go and read up on that stuff. There's also been, as keeps being mentioned, no conversation with trans representatives in this process at all, which remains a little bit No, and that remains a hugely... Which is a very strange for an inclusive process. But I suppose on the other level, whatever this means, they have committed to doing annual reviews of the science because they recognise that it is developing in that none of it studies anything of what they're actually ruling on. <laughs> yeah. And I hope that. that I hope that they, 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 they are taking it at their word and actually do come back and look at I these things. I think they generally take... I do think that they've... Their view, and I'm, I don't know... They've obviously... They've, they've put a lot of store in the biological women's rights ethic argument. Big start. And then they seem to have made everything else fit that, I think. Yeah, and, you know, we've we've discussed our issues with that in yeah. the past, and I've certainly got pretty big and, fucking issues with and it. I, but and I, can, I, I understand lots of people very strongly about biological women's rights. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm not getting into it. <laughs> there are strongly held feelings about it. Yeah, and so there's a, you know, it's just a whole, you know, it's a mess that nobody really asked World Rugby to wade into, and yet here we are. <laughs> yeah, but, that's a funny. Well, some did. People no, feel very strongly. Yeah, about people biological feel very strongly about. Feel about people, who, and I'm not laughing in that. That isn't. I'm not trying to rubbish people. Feel strongly about biological women's rights. I think it's it's a view that people take, and people feel strongly about it. But you know. Anyway, yeah. So uh, you know, nobody nobody was banging on World Rugby's door and demanding that they make some sort of. It, I mean, what, the weird thing is, this. what I will say is weird. Rugby never wants to be the leaders on anything. No, and they've they're decided the most, to be the, the most conservative all, sport in the world. The things really. they've of all the things they've decided to be world leading on, it's the exclusion of transgender athletes. Some, which some is people fucking admire bananas. That. I find yeah. it more curious. And that's been being <laughs> circumspect in my world. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 done. It's dusted. I prof- profoundly hope that this isn't the last we mm. hear about it. Um, and yeah, and good on all of the unions that are saying that they'll they're happy to allow, you know, people to continue to play the sport that they love. Frankly, seen a shame. I think. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so. South Africa won't be in the rugby championship this year. Such is the rumor. They still haven't confirmed. Have they not confirmed um, that yet? But they're still. <laughs> they're pl- I think they. There's, there's journalists are coming out with it though, so there's obviously very strong sources, I, isn't there? Who's to say quite what the 
the the whole because the they're saying it's player safety, right? Is the reason that they don't want to get involved, and that seems to be less to do with coronavirus and more to do with the fact that South African players have barely played like two or three games since, yeah, like fucking March. Jesse Jesse, Jesse Creel's got a four pack now. <laughs> well, we we all saw oh, what's his face, the South African prop who could barely fit into his fucking. <laughs> Uh, I like it. He's but, one of those old school props, though, isn't he? I, and I respect. He, you know, I love even in professional rugby, there's still those props to go. How do you look like that? Yeah. How and can you train still, every day and still look and like that? He's a brilliant scrummager. Oh, wonderful! And it's just, and and yet, and so he plays Test rugby. But you know, the reality is, New Zealand and Australia have both played full Super Rugby seasons, and you know they're currently playing Bledisloe games, which we'll come on to. And I think mainly Razzy and company are going, we are going to be fucking well off the pace if we rock up and start playing test rugby, having not played a fucking game of rugby, you know, more than a couple of games of rugby at basically walking pace in the last six months. And I guess it's fair. I mean, they never used to have a problem when they'd come and play the Northern Hemisphere teams in the autumn when they barely fucking met each other for about eight months. And won most of the time, but yeah, I get it. But it does kind of push us further towards the end of the rugby championship and Sanzar and South Africa being involved with the Southern Hemisphere. Surely, I mean, if the rugby championship doesn't go ahead, that's it. Surely. Yeah, I think it's 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 the final nail, isn't it? Whatever's coming, it isn't going to be this. So <laughs> the final nail in a very nail-heavy coffin by now. Let's be honest. Yeah, they've so got they one go, of them industrial nail guns and they've just gone to town. So uh, but they, yeah. they can just play low Cup games every week for about three yeah. years. There you go. But it's Argentina I feel sorry for. It's like they're Always. not they're not content with losing their fucking team. Now they're going to lose their fucking international competition as well. It's yeah. like... Can I just take you back a few weeks when yes. the idea was floated by two very wise men on a podcast <laughs> that Argentina and the and the Haguara should base themselves in San Sebastian. Yes. And and all these problems will be solved. Yeah. Join this. Let's have a seven nations. Let's check South Africa, Argentina, and the current... And, oh, well, fuck off Italy. Who cares? Um, and, then, and then we'll play. Like, how much... I mean, it's not very traditional... And the time zones and the seasons would be an issue. Let's have an eight nations. Make two pools. Yeah. We've already had... Apparently, we've got an eight nations now. So, like... just <laughs> Why not? Just fucking do it. Speaking of six nations, stroke eight nations, Jordan Lama is out of the six nations. But that confuses yeah. me in terms of what that means for the for the autumn. <laughs> Actual six nations. Because the six yeah. nations are only the first two weeks of the autumn. Does that mean yeah. he's just out with those two and then he's fit and when, again? So, when someone says someone's going to miss the six nations at this time of year, you think, oh, he's out till March. Ooh, that's a bad one. Ooh, yeah. Anscombe level problems. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, injuries are really building up for Leinster uh, and Ireland now, though, because... Obviously, Lama's missing. The, he's dis, he dislocated his shoulder, didn't he, against Benetton, which sounds nasty, to be fair. Mm. Um, Ryan Baird and Max Deegan uh, also got injured in that game. Tag Furlong uh, is still out with that calf problem. Johnny Sexton got injured in the first game of the season. Ronan Kelleher and Andrew Porter are all out. 
Uh, it won't make any difference. They'll still win all their games for the foreseeable future. I mean, but... Leinster probably only got, what, 62 international <laughs> standard players left or something? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's... it's Who who plays fullback now for Ireland? I mean, one of the many Dave other options, Carney. I guess. Yeah. No, he's injured. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's 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 not ideal. Jordan Lama, right? At what point is he tipping over from all that promise? Next, next big thing to, <laughs> to potential and fulfilment. Oh, what a shame! Yeah, when he scored that, when he scored that try in the uh, Champions Cup semi-final that they lost, that was the first try that he'd scored at any level for nearly two years. For supposedly one of the game's great attacking talents. It's, yeah. It's just weird, man. Like I still, I remember when he came through, and I because we were talking about it on this podcast. And I thought he looked like one of the most exciting players I'd seen in years, and he's just what's that loud in muddy ball? Not when the Boston Red Sox see, was it? Was it? Who was it? When the Boston come on, when Boston Red Sox see this player, they see a world class star. What I see. Is a fundamental misunderstanding of the game of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like John Lamb, you think, you know, what people see, and it's right, yeah. is a ridiculously a physically talented lad. Yeah, attacking talent. And yet, what you start to realise is that what you're actually seeing is a fundamental misunderstanding <laughs> of the fullback role in fullback. <laughs> it's the reason why people undervalue Tommy Allen. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that, actually, isn't it? of what a starting out on half meant to be. You know, I'm not. Doing down John Lama, he's still a very good player. Of course he is. But it, it we always we have I to do. do our usual caveat here that all of these people, it's hard to express in words how much better they are than us. Oh, unbelievably <laughs> so. However, yeah, it does feel like he's teetering on the brink of the unfulfilled potential. People will start talking about what a talent he was instead of what a talent he is. Yeah. If he's not careful. But he's still pretty um, young. What is he? Twenty. I was going to say. I was going to say, he's still very young. And he's, but he's. So we've done this before then, go, oh shit, he's 27. (laughs) He's 23. 23. And you know, he's got, he's got fucking loads of time. But. And he's he's got, he's got fucking big signing for Racing 92 written all over him at some point. He does actually, doesn't he? Yeah. Especially if he falls. Because he's been in Test Rugby for, you know, he's got 20 odd caps now. He's had two years of Test Rugby under his belt. I'd, I'd like to see him play on the wing more. I think he's a better wing than he's a fullback. But mm, let's let him get fit first, I guess. Uh, He's right, better than Dave Carney. <laughs> How could you say <laughs> such a thing? Um, there's a Scotland squad. We've got a Scotland squad. We've got a Scotland squad. Yeah. Finn's back, baby. <laughs> yes. Well, that was always to be the care. I wonder, wonder, I'd love to have been in the room. Was there even a meeting? Or has he just said, oh, he's back here. Let's put his name down. I mean, he's he's been eating a couple of slices of humble pie since he got back in mm. and talking about how he could have handled things better, which strikes me as words have been had. But, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if there's... I don't want there to be because he's too talented a player to not play test rugby. But now that we know there's drama and beef, that... The, the the soap opera fan in me yearns <laughs> to see more drama and more beef. Blair Cowan is back. <laughs> Where the fuck? Hands is up that if you pick from? that one. 
No, nobody's put their hand up. Yeah. With all of Scotland's incredibly promising young back row forwards coming through, somehow Blair Cowan and his terrible haircut have somehow fucking sneaked back in there. Mad Blair shit. Cowan and his triangle hair are back in there. <laughs> you look like you could be in Kiss, Blair Cowan. <laughs> does look like he could be in Kiss, yes. Um, yeah. Rob Harley's in, speaking of back rows. I like a bit of that. Indeed, yeah. I like never a bit get of that as well. a match day squad, but I like a bit of that. Doing Van der Meer was the other big news, isn't it? Yes. Comically South underrated. Africa, uh, Talk about fundamental misunderstanding of the game of rugby. People who don't rate Doing Van der Meer. Yeah. Yeah, Ollie Kebble, uh, Doing Van der Meer. <laughs> Saffers in from everywhere. Speaking of random London Irish players that I didn't expect to be in the Scotland squad, Scott Steele's in as well. Yeah. Sure. All right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and it's nice to see Blade Thompson back as well, given everything that he's gone through since trying to get into the Scotland team regarding fucking concussions and stuff. Uh, it it's, didn't take um, much to get him back in, but then I suppose Blair Cowan's also in the squad, so it shows that they're a bit light in the back row 10 stakes. So it'll be interesting to see, and also, also, let's be honest, the big fucking news, the real superstar news here, Mm. Is Duncan Weir's back? I'm very excited about this. Very excited about Duncan Weir and his new mad hair. Which he's just, done for I know charity. it's a charity thing. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think he's he's allowed to cut it now. I think now, now that we've seen, now that we've seen the the glory of his, and it, it clearly has a Samson type Bob hair. effect. Because yeah, he's, he's never played better. He's, just, he's turned into a running fly off. Oh fuck! Yeah, honestly. No, he's never allowed to cut it for a variety it's, of reasons. I'm finding it hard to get too involved in these squads because I think there's just a nagging part where it just goes, this isn't going to make any difference because this will all be called off in about a week. Yeah, there's there's some pretty big waiting for the other shoe to drop energy <laughs> yes. going on. Yes, there is. Yes. <laughs> it's like with the greatest will in the world, and I really like I I want Test Rugby back so bad, <laughs> so so well, if this, bad. If this weekend demonstrated everything, oh how we missed it. Yes, indeed, and we'll come on to that as well. But yeah, it's just you can't help thinking you've ordered a letter, can't you? Saying you are in the squad, but don't book your train tickets yet. You, you just well, you might like, lose your money. It's, <laughs> it's basically what fucking you know what Wayne Pivak said when the squad was named, wasn't it? It's like, you know, you, if you fuck around with this, you're out. (laughs) I don't care who you are. You're going home. This is not sale. This is Wales. (laughs) Well, I do think that in many ways, um, the whole sale thing is, has kind of shocked some people into, and I hope, I certainly hope. They had um, eight more positive tests on the Wednesday, didn't they? I know. It's fucking bananas, isn't it? Public Health England were like, right, fucking right. Fucking line get the out. Get out. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I do kind of hope that's been a bit of a wake-up call for players and clubs and everybody else to just go, yeah, you, you really need to take this fucking thing seriously, guys. Uh, what other squad? We've had the Ireland squad, haven't we, in the last week? Uh, yeah, the Iron Squad, which contained absolutely no shocks whatsoever. Everybody knows what that squad is now. They're they're one of the most settled teams in world rugby, 
and uh, fair play to them. Um, Richard Wigglesworth, Jackson Ray, and uh, Manu Vinopola are the latest names to be added to the Barbarian squad uh, for that match with England, which is funny. Jackson Ray just finally getting a crack at proving to player. <laughs> um, yeah, and there'll be a crowd at the Challenge Cup final on Friday night, which is being played in a tiny little stadium in Provence. But they will allow a thousand people in, uh, in a six thousand capacity stadium. So yeah, that'll be nice. Where's the European? Where's the European Cup final being held? The European Cup final is now in Bristol. Is it Ashton That's the Gate, stupid thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I've misheard Gate. that. Yeah. No, you haven't. And yet, for some reason, the Challenge Cup final, instead of being also in Bristol, where you know one of the teams is from, <laughs> is for some reason in Provence. Uh, uh, at the Stade Maurice David. I mean, I'm, uh, is, is Provence nice this time of year? I don't, I don't, I'm I don't, sure it's all right. It's nice most parts of the year, isn't it? Well, compared to Flint, I imagine it yeah. is. So. I, I, uh, who, uh, if they were going to allow fans in, why didn't they keep the whole thing in France? Because the original final was supposed to be in Marseille, wasn't it? Mm. And then they decided not. And so they moved it to Ashton Gate for some reason. I mean, Why? after Marseille, well, they're both port towns, I suppose, aren't they? Dock towns, <laughs> traditional dock town. I just, I just, for the lot, I cannot understand. I cannot understand why they didn't stick, you know, stick one in Ashton Gate and stick the other one in fuck at the Memorial Ground or something. That would be nice. Bristol playing a European final in the ground that they fucked off from five years ago. Is that Bristol Rovers' ground? Yes, it was originally. Which is Bristol not actually Rovers in Bristol, ground. is it? It's probably technically in uh, South Gloucestershire or North Somerset. Yeah, because that was a joke. When Bristol City fans would sing there's only one team in Bristol, they were actually geographically correct. <laughs> I think that was always the, the kind of joke. Uh, but yes, so uh, they are... It just feels... Again, everything feels weird about this whole European final thing in the same way that the Premiership stuff. I'm looking does. forward to it, though. I think I am looking forward to it. I really am. Racing will be um, well a clash of styles, shall we say? Well, we're kind of drifting into the weekend now, aren't we? But it'll be a because we're going to talk about Exeter style, no doubt. But uh, mm. yeah, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, weekend wise, um, yes, Exeter sure. um, are the new boot stamping on the human face. A hundred percent for the rest and... of eternity. Yeah. It is I mean, so it, impressive. Genuinely it is. It's so impressive and yet simultaneously completely fucking depressing. I am bored. Well, how can you not watch that and admire it? So well I can admire it, but I just am not entertained by it. My override, <laughs> are you not entertained? Yeah, my, my overriding emotion is one of oh for fuck's sake. Because all you can do is sit all you can see is this spiralling out for five years in front of you. Yeah, and on you watch every team turn into a copycat Exeter as well, which, to be honest with you, is going to render club rugby incredibly fucking boring. Because and it's not entirely Exeter's fault, because Leinster have made a very good, and Saracens as well, to be fair, a very good fist of terminal possession rugby, where you, they just have the ball until they score. Because this is what's interesting about them, I found, watching them 
I mean, obviously, I've watched them lots before, but actually having to sit and write about them minute by minute on Saturday is the most attention mm. I've probably paid as in staring straight at them for a while. Um, they are all really, really good footballers. It's no, yeah. it's no surprise when like Alec Hepburn turns up in the 13 channel quite regularly. Yeah. And, and his hands are good and stuff. Because that stuff that they do, where they once they get in your twenty two, you're just like it's just a matter of time. Just start the fucking yeah. countdown clock running because they're going off. <laughs> but there's such good football in it because they all there align yeah. so well and they're all so comfortable it's with the ball, so well drilled as well. And that sounds like it's a negative. Oh, you know, fucking all you do is no, and it's not up the jumper stuff. It's not quite that simple. And the pace at which they do it. It's a simple game plan, but it's not easy to do is the best way I can I can express it. And you need some really good footballers to do it, actually, I think, ironically. Even though it doesn't look like it's good football. No, that's the thing. It's not particularly entertaining, but it's incredibly well... Like, it's in, uh, unbelievably impressive yeah. and well-drilled and well-coached and innovative, but it's dull as fucking ditch water. To actually be any kind of neutral and watch, and it's the same with Leinster when you know Leinster do that thing of they just set up in a tw- your twenty-two, and they're just going to go through phases until they score. And I think we all know fucking... that rugby is a game of physical dominance. We just don't like it being mm. presented that obviously to us. To I think that's the thing. Yeah, that every I like to you pretend know, there's something they else win ev- they win every collision, and you know part of it is because they're you know as as we've talked about in the past, there's no team better at treading on the line of legality and operating in the grey areas and pushing the boundaries to the next year in terms of what the laws will allow and what refs don't pay attention to. And fair play to them, because that's a big mm. part of what Huge rugby union is. Technical cheating is a skill in itself. Absolutely it is, but Jesus wept. It is hard to fucking watch for 80 minutes. And maybe that's why they're fans. You want, to try, you, want to, you want to try and write some entertaining copy at the same time <laughs> while you're watching it. Maybe that's why their fans love all the fucking chanting and the dressing up and shit so much. It's <laughs> yeah, they don't even the, look at the picture the rug, anymore. The rugby is just so inevitably fucking excellent that it's just like, but un, unentertaining. It's I just mean, like, well, what I will I've got, got something to do. <laughs> Before the game, and again, I've not paid that much. I don't watch pre-match shit usually, but I had it on because I was doing it. Hmm is that they played the fucking tomahawk chop as they came running on. Of course they did. Everybody stopped for the for the few seconds, the, the moments of silence for rugby against racism. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it had finished, they fired the tomahawk chop through the tannoy again without a fucking hint did. of irony. It was incredible. They, it's, they are, it, you know, it's almost it, admirable, the kind of clanging ridiculousness of it. That's the thing. In addition to being sort of on the field, sort of immune to any kind of mental, like, you know, they're never bothered when they go behind. They never bother. You know, they're, they're unflappable <laughs> as a unit for 80 minutes. As a club, they're also completely unflappable in terms of shame. And, <laughs> you know, they just... They just do not fucking seem to feel any kind of moral mores about any of the stuff that they're doing. I mean, yesterday was Indigenous Peoples Day. It was. Uh, didn't hear a lot from 
the respectful Exeter chief. Even though they did take that, a lot of consultation, apparently. You think they'd be wheeling out all the people they've consulted with to yeah, have some yeah. photo ops or make statements. Weird, you, weirdly, did not, not a peep from them. <laughs> plenty of stuff about the upcoming European final, but not a peep from them about these, you know, a day devoted to the people that they are so very respectfully honouring. Uh, weird that. <laughs> Really back weird. on the um, back on the pitch, the uh, yes, Bath didn't actually play that badly. They the first did... half, they did everything that you could have hoped they would do. Aside from, I mean, yeah, they just not, of could it, not, not a fucking thing of it worked really. No, they it, it was literally like a fucking waves crashing up against a massive seawall on attack. And it's it just, just they tried just, everything and just... it just wasn't happening. It's a ding, 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 until the ref awards a penalty to Exeter on their own line. Ding, 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 Exeter was slowly walking left and right in the line. They could almost be like on their phones <laughs> while they were doing it. It was like they were in a slow shuffling queue for the log flu yeah. or something. They were dealing with it all so fucking easily. And then the second that the inevitable penalty gets conceded, you know, they obviously kick for the corner because that's what they do. And then they just, as soon as they get into your half, it's just like fucking watching Space Invaders without any but shooting back. Just like, no e- good e- noises, e- just e- racist e- songs. E- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just edging further and further forward until somebody scores. And it's just, yeah, you know, it's, it's inevitable. They are inevitable and they'll win the European final this weekend and they'll win the premiership. And for the next four or five years, we're going to have to, I do like how they're slipping into that position of being everyone's most hated team now, though. A combination of the way they play, as impressive as it is, and the fact they keep winning. We don't have time for that in this country. We don't like winners. No, no. (laughs) Tall tall poppies all over the place. Just fucking hack them down. Um, I do find it funny how, particularly on BT, but in English rugby in general, nobody has learned a lesson in that Exeter are doing things that are scarcely believable in terms of what is, you know, the way that they play, the sort of indefatigability of the way that they play, the brilliance of it, the excellence. And the hyperbole that's being spouted is exactly the same. I don't know how they do it, what an incredible team they are that we had up until about nine or ten months ago. With Saracens, and it's like I'm not saying there's anything to like that afoot with Exeter, but nobody has learned from the let's not get too carried away with like proclaiming someone's greatness. They haven't actually won anything yet. Like I'm very sure they're going to win a lot of things yeah. in the next couple of weeks. But it's like the, the hype, the the absolute desperation to sort of lean into is this not the greatest thing you've ever seen in the history like, of the world how do they do it they're the greatest team to have Ali, ever yeah. set foot on Ali grass Eakin. hyperbole Ali Eakin who's normally a, a more cynical commentator than Nick Mullins which I know mm. isn't saying much no um, the try that oh who was it basically Joe Simmons took the ball left channel and he and mm. and 
Jonathan Joseph fell off the tackle. And then they fed, Stuart Hogg scored. They fed it for Stuart oh, Hogg yeah, and he yeah. scored. And in the replay, Alistair Eakin said, a moment of genius there from Joe Simmons. It was like, he ran at Joseph, he stepped once off his right foot and Joseph fell off the tackle. It was, but it was exactly the same with the How is that trailer. a moment of genius? It's incredible. <laughs> it was exactly the same with the try that Simmons scored in the in the Champions Cup semi-final where the defence basically shat the bed and allowed him to just run in. And they were proclaiming his genius. It's like, well, all he did was he took the ball at pace and just ran an out, a, a, a quite quick outside arc and... Everyone was at sixes yeah. and sevens on this in the Toulouse defence, so nobody got to tackle Because everything is genius and everything is superlative, what words do you have left when you actually see something that's genuinely my, that that's way? My big problem with the and whole thing. And he's a very thing. good like, player, Joe Simmons. He's he really a very, is. very, very good, good player, player, and there are there are lots of and things. That last that try can... they scored when he stepped round Priest, I mean, Priest was fucking knackered and had given up, but yeah, the step was lovely and the one-handed off really was, was fantastic. And yeah, but this is the thing: it's like there's so many like. Like there were there were loads of reasons to say that why Joe Simmons was brilliant in that game, and it, but you got they take the thing that isn't that. It's okay you know, to say just... he's, an, he's an exceptional young fly half without resorting to words <laughs> like genius and yeah, and especially when the genius is evidently not genius. Just let the ge- <laughs> just save the genius to say fucking hell that was really good. That you that's know the, what, that's the statement of this fucking modern era. This. The genius is narrator. The genius wasn't actually genius most of the time. Yeah, it's true. It's like save the genius talk for when things are actually sort of jaw-droppingly incredibly brilliant. And say like, and I do get me wrong. I fucking love Semi Rodondo, right? But every time he gets the ball, BT Sport thinks that. (laughs) He's just basically walking on water, and sometimes he's just a big fast man running in the outside channel. Look at Randranda there, takes the ball, he puts one foot, left foot forward, then the right foot forward, then the left, then the right, then the left. It's called running, you pricks! <laughs> like in that London Irish game, um, where he scored that sort of the, Bristol's first try, it's like all of the genius was pretty much everybody else on the team, and then and then Randranda got the ball sort of. 20 metres out and basically just hit the afterburners and ran it in. And like, it was very good, but stop sort of being, oh, it's that man again with his genius to No, he just, he did what know. he's supposed to do. He, he did his, his fucking beard job. Like it's made of polystyrene. That's what I was talking fucking about. beautiful beard. Beautiful. I mean, he's a be- the shape of he's a, it. He's a beautiful man. But sometimes he's just doing things very competently. It's not always. Some, save the genius for the things that are actually genius so that we appreciate them more. So we drifted into Bristol. We have. I think go well, did it? <laughs> <laughs> the overall emotion of this game is naivety. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what... like Because they haven't been this soft all this season, like, uh, for a lot of this season. I mean, but Wasps I think... are playing very well. I mean, they're playing this, very well, and they were they were. They're not playing forty-seven, whatever thirteen. Well, yeah, they. Score. Bristol. The problem was Bristol got on the wrong end of some. You know, the offside. It definitely helped Wasps that even under modern rugby standards of not enforcing the offside line. Oh lordy, <laughs> oh lordy, <laughs> the, yes. the offside line was just a sort of 
nebulous concept that was sort of hovering somewhere to the right of the Rico but Arena. It's not the offside lines for that. Bristol constantly try and run it out of their own 22 against, against well, the, the breakdown that, of the pain soon as, losing at two. As you know? soon as they got as soon as they got on the wrong end of the scoreline, instead of playing sensible shit, they just, you know, they've only got one way to play and that is we're going to do mad shit from everywhere. And it's incredibly endearing because it makes for some very, very good rugby, but I would no fancy their chances against Toulon on Friday if they play like that. And it's just that they look a year or two short, two's learning at it's the that sharp if, end of if, the if game. If you'd given them this at the beginning of the season, they'd have snapped your bloody eyes off, They're ahead of schedule. You know, Pat Lamb had 50 a... 50 to 1 to yeah. get to the final or something beginning of the season. You know, it says a lot. And, and Pat Lamb has, has gone on record, you know, at the start of this season as saying that there was a four-year plan. And the plan, you know, last season was get yourself sort of situated in the Premiership and stay up. This year's plan was qualify for the Champions Cup. And get Next some 90s, year's plan. 90s Umbro training gear. That was get some awesome number of 90s training gear, yeah. Uh, and then next season, playoffs, season after, win it. Now, they're ahead of schedule in that regard. You know, they made the playoffs a year ahead of schedule. But they still look like a team that's two years away from winning something, I'd say. They just need a bit more. They need to be a bit smarter. And Callum Sheedy needs to be a bit smarter, mm. to be brutally honest. For all the hyperbole that's been sort of ladled out to that guy in the last month or two. You know and he's a, very good, he's a very good player. They need a, they need a Jimmy Gopeth. They do. Well, they had an Ian Madigan, who mm. is... Who, who, you know, he barely fucking played for them for the last year of his contract. But... Madigan's exactly was exactly the sort of foil for Sheedy yeah. that they kind of they needed, and instead they've got Tiff Eden now, which <laughs> I mean <laughs> he's not a reassuring yeah, presence, what's, is what's he? What's the plan for him for year three? You have to wonder, don't you? <laughs> they they just look like a team that needs. To be honest with you, they need. A sensible northern fly half with a sensible haircut. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. Need to be plays twelve. Oh, it'd be wonderful. The the um. Yeah, just it's... for just for when Sheedy's because I said it before, but no, there's no fly off I've seen in recent years that runs into trouble as much as Callum Sheedy does by trying to do too much. He's constantly running up blind alleys. And he's constantly having to get fucking. Greatest fly half prospect in Europe, though Simon Thomas told me on Wales Online. Jesus Christ! Speaking of hyperbole, though, <laughs> there is no height of hyperbole that the English rugby establishment won't reach for in their efforts to praise Jack Willis. Jesus, I look, mean, he's really good. He's, he's well, really fucking yes, good. He's very good, and and obviously he's. You know when there's always there's always a player that's perfectly built for a law change, isn't there? Perfectly. It's, and he it's is never the ab- if you'd ordered him from a lab for this war change, it couldn't be more perfect. <laughs> could it? Yeah. And he's absolutely benefiting from the fact that for the first time in about two years, Wasps have Thomas Young and Brad Shields fit as well as him as well. Remember Dan Lydia like... and people. Where's Dan Lydia been? Why is he so amazing now? Because he's the perfect tackler <laughs> yes, for this for this current this law moment in situation. History. Lee Bird. Exactly. Lee Bird is the perfect fullback 
for the way the breakdown's being ref right now with his kick and chase. <laughs> Honest to God, yeah. Yeah, he's perfectly suited for it. And he's, and he's a big, big reason why Wasps are good again. But, <laughs> seriously, like, people saying that he's better than Sam Underhill. He's got zero fucking caps and Sam Underhill basically beat the All Blacks on his own less than 12 <laughs> months ago. Calm the fuck down, everybody. Let's, let's, let's let him have a go at international rugby first before we start saying he's the best open side flanker in the world, that he should be going on the Lions tour yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, he's got double the turnovers of anybody else in the league. <laughs> yeah, which is fucking impressive. But then he's also been there the whole season because he hasn't been while England's other, other yeah. bl- open side flankers have been off with England and at World Cups, etc. Very talented. He's lad. fucking. He's fucking excellent. Yeah, he is a hell of a game. He really is, and he played incredibly well. And his on tackle Saturday. over the line as well when he got on the yeah, unbelievably good. Unbelievable. And nothing would. I, there's nothing I would find funnier than Jack Willis somehow single-handedly stopping Exeter in a couple of weeks' time. Yes. But let's let's try and keep it. He's on only one part of that back row as well. Yeah, you know, Young's him and Shields is quite a fucking unit. It's a hell of a, when you yeah when you think like and I know we've discussed this before, but it's like you know, Di Young carried a can for a lot of injury problems that Wasps had, and it's no coincidence. No, you know, with the greatest respect to Lee Blackett, like it's no coincidence that since the break, you know the covid break and they came back you know having those three fit and firing is something that they haven't had basically since brad shields turned up he's been injured in one way shape yeah, or true, form yeah. while commanding a massive chunk of wasps's fucking salary cap let's not beat around the bush Didn't thomas we... young also you know had huge injury problems last year and willis was you know was having to do a lot of it on his own and he wasn't nearly as effective last season as a result didn't realise that uh, Martin Gleeson is their attack coach, ex St yeah. Helens and Great Britain Rugby League centre. They love a rugby league attack coach in rugby union, don't they? <laughs> they, they really they do. Really do. Uh, uh, Bledisloe then. Yes. They were rusty, you, weren't they? They struggled coming out of the blocks. <laughs> I'll Christ tell you Almighty. what. I've met. Like I think, can we can all agree that Test rugby is bloody great. Test rugby like, like that is, yeah. I mean, just yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, I would say for most of the first seventy odd minutes, it was entertaining primarily because it was just a smorgasbord of just sloppiness and handling errors and people trying shit that wasn't quite coming off. But when it did, it was great. It was just. It However, was actually nice to see Australia having something that looked like a, a rugby structure. It really was. They were <laughs> yeah. very the embarrassment that they were this time last year. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly, and yeah, the last ten minutes and indeed that final eight minutes of added time was just fucking. Glo- I never wanted it to end. If I that never, fucking just... kick had not hit that post. I think it would have landed on fucking Easter Island, did it, at that ad, with a wind <laughs> behind it. Honest to God. You know, we, we, we talked about, about Ben Healy, and, and he, he again should, you know, be mentioned this week for smashing the fucking shit out of the ball. But it was that same sort of level of just like, I'm not going to put a great deal of technique into this in a sort of, you know, fancy technique. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to fuck in, the fuck out of it. Oof yeah. it like a motherfucker. And yeah, if it hadn't hit the post, that was just going into space. 
Most of that second half was in the rain, don't forget. Terrible conditions. Howling wind and horrendous yeah. rain. It was incredible. <laughs> but Australia actually but, running pods from the fucking centre and having like forwards taking it from depth and trying to set a platform. All these fucking revolutionary ideas. That's before you get into the fact they seem to have found a fucking fullback. Yeah. Who, who, you know. <laughs> and again. James O'Connor as a 10 kind of works. Oh, I tell I you suppose. what. I, I've never. I've never seen a kicker. In, I've never seen anybody inspire less confidence from the team <laughs> since probably I watched the post-Shagger Revelations Tiger Woods' first tournament <laughs> when he was all over the shop. But honestly, he's even a relatively simple I mean, kick. And to be honest, um, Barrett wasn't making the kicks either. But he was missing no, them in an entirely was, different it, way to James O'Connor. It, it, was, it was a real match for reminding everybody that goal kicking is really important, no matter how fancy Dan you want to be in rugby. As you, you know, Australia left 16 points out there through what? bad kicking, and New Zealand left 10. Both Barrett and Anne O'Connor were sub fifty percent kickers. And I mean, I know Barrett, it was on another conditions. day it might not be because it was a few fifth. Whereas, whereas O'Connor was just like, geez. And as soon as he, like, I also, I think, I also know Geordie Barrett can smash one in from seventy meters. <laughs> uh, whereas when it comes to James O'Connor, it's just like you need to not be kicking the the goals, mate. That, well, the, you know, the, how, like when the Wales end of his, like when he steps back and he, at the end of it, just going to yeah. go. Do you want to stop? Do you believe you can actually kick this? No. Nope. Uh, yes. Are you sure? Do you remember, <laughs> do you remember Everything about your face and your body suggests not, but go on, yeah. Do you remember in the 2012 Six Nations when it became increasingly apparent over the... Well, actually, sort of the, the autumn, like through the, the 2011 Rugby World Cup and then into the first game of the Six Nations, it became very obvious that Rhys Priestland's... <laughs> Did not believe that he didn't could have the, the fortitude for it. No, <laughs> and just did not. And despite being a perfectly good technical goal kicker, something in his head—you just took one look at him and thought, "You're going to fucking miss this, mate." And he thought it as well. Yes. And then they just went, "Should we see if Lee Half Penny can kick?" And that was fine. And then, and then it was fine. <laughs> yes. And everything was fine for a good like eighteen months to two years. Well, Australia have to pay really well if that is their plan off the team. <laughs> yeah. Really because, well. Yeah, they, they they really need, you know, why not have, if Reese Hodge can fucking hoof it with that level of venom, why not see if he can put 70% of that power into it and become a sort of 80% goal kicker? Because yeah. why not? <laughs> Somebody if, needs he, to. If, he, if he slows his, his leg swing down by about 2%, everything goes to pot. <laughs> It's a, I either kick it, it eighty-seven or meters, or it's a fucking shank like you've never seen. If he if he gets one in front of the posts from just inside the twenty-two, they're going to have to clear everyone from behind the posts because it's just going to bury itself in the north stand. This has ended up in the sea, <laughs> or I've got the yips. There's no in between. Uh, tell you what else though, uh, drop goals are apparently illegal. In the oh, Bledisloe Cup. I did love the idea that obviously they all knew they could set up for him, but they thought, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, Ian Foster at the end was like, oh yeah, no, it was the right decision, you know, they they they, they were setting up there and they believed that they could score a try, So I, I and I believe they could. It was just bad sort of, you know, a, a poor skills and a lack of composure. It's like, but a drop goal requires skill and composure as well. And also, you win the game with a drop goal 
just as much as you do if you score a try. <laughs> and it's easier to do a drop goal, if anything. Yeah, it's, but it's... Just, it just made my brain melt that neither side, you know, in that in that injury time period, both teams spent multiple phases on the op, you know, within three or four meters of the opposition try line, and nobody thought, let's get the ten in the pocket and have a pop. And to be fair, like to be fair to Richie Monger, he was sat in that pocket, going, lads, guys, lads, guys, lads, guys, lads, guys, lads, lads. <laughs> and there was TJ Perinara, had no interest whatsoever in passing it to him, and yeah, I mean it, it's just silly, isn't it? But Absolutely. fuck it, because I'm I'm perfectly fine with it being a draw. So Dave Rennie's given him some structure. He also seems to have taken Nick White aside and gone, you know, you're a very good scrum half, Nick. Please just make that so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that simple as that. <laughs> brilliant game. Absolutely Honestly, game. it was it was test rugby, man. What can you fucking say? Test rugby. Four a.m. test rugby. <laughs> Less keen on so that. It lasted for ten minutes over time as well, just because they wanted yeah. to. It was like that <laughs> Wales France game where they actually played rugby. Yeah. They just stood around waiting for France to choose. But it was just like every. It was like this perfect storm of like all those knock-ons, and yet each time the opposition team not only picked it up, but held onto the ball long enough for the referee to call advantage over, thereby enabling another knock-on <laughs> that the other team could pick up. It's throughout it was 90 just... minutes, you could just see the Aussies just go, fuck this. Just boot it. I'm taking the draw. <laughs> Christ almighty. <laughs> Fabulous. But yeah, it yeah. was just, it was fantastic. And it was exactly uh, what yeah. I needed after having to sit through those two games on Saturday. Because as much as I could, I, could, I could admire the performances of Wasps and, <laughs> and Exeter, it was hard to get too excited about it. Whereas uh, it made me excited wonderful. at the prospect that we've got, you know, is there another one this weekend? Rugby. Or is it two weeks later? Uh, I think there might be another one this weekend. Yeah, I no, think they've there got is, like nearly but, um, fifty thousand coming in, haven't they? They're they're back on yeah. to get the crowds in train. So, but like in addition to it making me excited for more Bledisloe Cup action, it just also made me think, "Ooh, there's there's Northern Hemisphere Test rugby coming as well." Steady. We've already talked about the shoe <laughs> dropping. The, um, I mean, yeah, provided it I've got, I've got to, to watch the Cleveland Browns win twice live in two weeks as well. Speaking of excitement in sport. Teetering Mad on the shit. brink of competency, they're not really. They're teetering on total <laughs> chaos. It's amazing they're actually winning. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I've been sort of weirdly spoiled with, aside from the te- you know my primary teams being Ospreys, Shambles, <laughs> Wales, Shambles. Old yeah, and the bottom United. of the entire football <laughs> league. That's yeah. that, that. That's the, my other news this yeah. weekend. Yeah, Tampa Bay Buccaneers mildly okay. Look quite sensible. Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup somehow. Don't understand how that happens. Tampa Bay Rays currently 2-0 up in the American League. Did they beat the Cubs? Pennant. The uh, no, Cubs got beaten by somebody else. I think they won. Um, but yeah, and they're, they're two games away from a World Series. And it's like, I'm, I'm not equipped to handle competency of that level. Where like just a team gets a lead and then they just def- they just they, yeah, they go about a really the, really the sort of haven't got that because Mayfield no, they really is haven't. always his pass is always two He's inches away from being a total disaster. <laughs> yeah, it's like the why Browns does everything have to be fizzed? 
45 metres. <laughs> the Browns are almost a sort of a perfect team for your sort of tolerance of competency in that they're pretty good <laughs> yeah. while looking at any moment like the whole thing could yeah. just collapse into and a their, total shit their show. pass defence is like nothing you've ever seen it's, it's, <laughs> it's incredible it's like, it's like nothing <laughs> it's quite literally you, it's like you can't nobody, see it there's yes. nobody there it's just like I mean, you have seen those three blokes run into open space behind you, haven't you? <laughs> Somebody must have done. Somebody could probably go with them. No? <laughs> it's oh, a, don't worry about it. I don't know who they are. It's like, are they on the other team? <laughs> anyway, I think it's shit good time. Yeah, I think so. So um, I know Pro 14 this week, but... Uh, ben Healy's not a one-time thing is, is both a good and a Pro 14 thing. Um, there's something wrong about Munster, right, when they flirt with a creative 10 like Joey Carberry. Healy, for me, feels a lot more Munster. Rock solid, kicks his goals, balls like walls. Here for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Are we doing good first, then? I guess so, yeah. Ooh, well, you mentioned Pro 14, and so I slid right in there. Uh, Jack Hur says good is Don Armand's comments in The Guardian about how Sarri's cheated him out, out of a Sunday all-day pisser. Did you read that piece by Rob Kitson? <laughs> I didn't, Well, an extract no. from his book. He's written a book about Exeter. And again, it's a big romantic tale. Which oh, I, I can't suppose... imagine why Rob Kitson has shown a great deal of moral cowardice when it comes to dealing with important issues regarding Exeter over the last couple of months then. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, but I mean, the book looks shite, to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure it's terrible. But it's where he went, this is how people really feel about it. It's what everyone hates Saracens. Yeah, we know that. You didn't really need to write a book about it, Rob. Um, but yeah, I love that Don Armand says Now, Rob, that everyone hates Exeter. They basically love that, that of all the things Don Armand's pissed off about is the memories of an all-day piss-up <laughs> after you've won. I'll never have that now. And now I'm not even in the team proper. So uh, I respect that to a level. That, oh, I do. You know, I love that old-school attitude. It's, that I, and it is yeah, true, actually. I suppose I there is something about... fucking day. And You don't just remember the trophies. Not... You remember the experience of winning a trophy and what happens also, after that. Yeah, that's true. Even if they if they win this time, you know, even if they win the Champions Cup and they win the Premiership, they're not going to be able to do what Saracens did a year ago. They're not going to be able to go to a pub and stay there all day and then... You and know, Alex Goode the, being his the, kit for the times days. the times that we the times that we live in mean they're either going to have to get pissed behind closed doors together, or they're going to have to be home. You know, leaving at ten o'clock. There's not going to be a lot <laughs> of. They'll have to start at six a.m., won't they? There's nothing else down for it. <laughs> in groups so of I six. Sympathize. Yeah, because no matter how good it is, they're not going to have that sort of freewheeling fucking going every pub in Exeter get battered kind of celebration that they would have had. And I, I get that. Yeah, that's that's pretty shit when you think about it. Hamish Allen says that good is the return of to the Scotland squad of our charismatic 10. I'm talking, of course, about Duncan Weir. Absolutely. <laughs> Jason Flynn Wall says that good is Kylo Ben anytime he kicks a penalty for Munster. Oh, I like that. Very nice. Have you Very made nice. that up, Jason? Is that actually what Munster fans are calling him? Kylo Ben? Because either way, that's, like, what, we're, that's like what we're it. calling him now. Yeah, damn so. right we are. Oshin says that good is Leinster with two bonus point wins from two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tom yeah. Gorman says that good is Matt Phillip. Yeah, Australia have a top class acceptable shit out in the making. In the I lock. tell you what, yeah. like for a man with four caps, like he just went about doing the dirty, unflashy shit incredibly in a way that an Australian second row hasn't done in years. Yeah, and I remember just... um, 
I read an interview with Joe Launchbury when he was coming through, and he, mm. he said when he was playing for Christ's Hospitalers School, and I think he said they played it's definitely against, a comp. Yeah, he played against Wasps or something, and he said it was in England. I can't remember who he was playing against, but anyway, he said I, it was. I, I decided that was the last time I'd ever be intimidated on a rugby field after that that afternoon when he was like seventeen mm. or something. 16, and and he just made that so. And it, it, I've got that vibe off Matt Phillip. I've decided I'm never intimidated by anything. So. <laughs> I love him. Also good from that game from an Australian point of view, uh, Filippo uh, yes, Dalgunu. Yes, the winger. Uh, yeah, for a debutante, fuck me, he looks like an absolute handful. And coming and back to finish, chef's oof, Indeed. But... <laughs> Dagunu looked like he was going to just score every time he touched the ball and beat three men doing it. And like, yeah, Scott, all of a sudden Australia look decent in a kind of worrying way. New Zealand's, you know, uh, fuck it, I'll tell you what else is good, New Zealand's line-out move that popped George Bridge on that lovely yes. arcade. Oh, that fucking inside ball, man. Ooh. And just, then that beautiful that floated was, pass. Yeah, I just Some wanted that. to, that. yeah, that was thigh-robbingly good. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Graham Love says, good is the madcap final 10 minutes in Wellington. More twists yes. in a set of headphones as they come out of your pocket. After so much excitement, I couldn't get back to sleep for over an hour afterwards. <laughs> who'd, who'd want to sleep after that, though? Uh, also from that game, um, remember like 10 million years ago when we were all watching Super Rugby <laughs> yes. and we were quite excited about seeing Caleb Clark and uh, Hoskins C22 mm. in, I mean, as advertised. Yes. Both came on, both fucking excellent. It's like, Are they as good as Jack Willis, though? I mean, uh, let's give him a week or two. You know? <laughs> um, Jason Phipps gets it. He says, good was Bledisloe match one of the 240 that they'll be playing. <laughs> he said, but shit is the lack of a thunder-twatting drop goal <laughs> in, the, in the red timer section. Absolutely right, Jason, as we've said. Miles Burley says his good is Mark Wilson's arms. Jesus Christ. Have you seen that photo with his biceps? He hasn't done a lot of playing games recently. <laughs> um, yeah. But he has done... He's like a paramilitary prisoner who's been. He's just come out of prison. He had nothing to do but lift <laughs> weights while he was in there. Yeah, fair place. In the same way that... You remember when those photos of Jonathan Davis being back in training <laughs> yes. came out and everybody just looked at his arms and went... Well, I've just wasted my life. Yes. Looking at Mark Wilson's arms makes me feel exactly the same. Oh. But even more so, if I'm honest. CIA got you too many, pushing too many pencils <laughs> vibes. Definitely. I would love a, a, a John Davis, Mark Wilson fucking masculine What's this fucking tie business? What's <laughs> the fucking tie business? What's <laughs> not a Dutch CIA got you pushing too many pencils? What, you save yourself, Dutch? <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, and yeah, also, Miles Burley quote, says... we just quote that entire scene, let's move on. Yeah, I mean, being married is all right, but it's not the film Predator, is it? <laughs> um, the... Also, Miles says the return of Jeff Parling's fantastic beard. You forget that he's involved in... So he's... Is, this, is, this, is he the root cause of all this forwards competency? I mean, they still did not have a line note. Let's <laughs> not give it too much fucking credit. <laughs> Baby steps, baby steps. Uh, where's the beef, says Good, finally in the goods. As a neutral, it's so good to see an exciting, competent Australia stretching the legs again. Yeah, you're right. Genuinely, yes. Really hope it keeps the momentum going. 
He says, but not gla- he says, shit, but not glaringly strict. But those Tamua crossfield kicks felt like wasted opportunities. Yeah, yeah. fair one. It was nice to see Tamua was... looking like that thing we all think Tamua should be, though, even in flashes. Yeah, he wasn't. He didn't have his best game, but he was still extreme. He's like that sort of ocean. Like he's like an oasis of sanity in that Australian backline that I think they really need. Yes. What have you got? The shit. Um, I don't want Matthew Carley, man. Like, a it wasn't a good game. Full stop. He's, he's like, very fussy, isn't he? He's very, very. He's fussy, and then he ignores whole swathes of the rule book, and then allows a try to stand where it wasn't taken from the mark, and he was actively distracting the opposition <laughs> team. <laughs> so yeah. fucking stupid. Yeah, so anyway, man. on Sunday I went and I thought I was going to go to the car dealers, but I didn't quite get there because they were, they were offering me 4%. What are you scored? Oh, sorry, lads. Because yeah. you can't say, ref, you fucking shut up because they're about to start playing again. You're not allowed to say that, are you? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's mad. Even for the, like... Yeah, so when it, what happens them. is, yeah, so when they pull over, he, he's, the fellow who lives next door <laughs> says, well, you wank me off. That's what actually happens in this programme. <laughs> Even if it weren't for the fact that it was behind his back and he was clearly distracting the Bristol defence, the TMO really should have noticed that he was a million... Robson was nowhere near the fucking mark. Like... I mean, Robson was five t- seconds ahead of everybody in that game. Of course he was. He was brilliant in that game. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant in that game. But, like, he wasn't anywhere near the mark. That straight off the bat should be the TMO going, well, he's not off the, on the mark. So, that's... But no, apparently not. Because rugby's very silly sometimes. And it was never more silly than in that moment. And that's why the game was completely over at half-time, was because it was like, well, Bristol will have to score four tries to win this. And and there's no way Matt Carley isn't given about 87 penalties to Wasps at some point for some reason because <laughs> he loves it, which Jimmy Gopeth will just stroke over with a plum. So yeah. yeah, it was exactly that, wasn't it? Um, also, shit for me is this whole farce that's rapidly unfolding between uh, with the Wales France game, the warm up game ahead of the Six Nations restart, which is because the top 14 clubs. Uh, are still at war with the French Rugby Federation. Um, it's now looking like <laughs> they're going to select France are going to have to run out a team for a capped international with players exclusively from the under twenties and the second tier. Now, I don't, I don't like that for a variety of well... reasons. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like it because I don't like the thought. Like from their point of view, it it totally dis fucking like test rugby should not be played under those conditions and it's not fair on the the french players to basically go all right do you fancy going from sort of the you know playing academy rugby or playing in the second division please meet alan Wynne jones josh navidi josh adams and all the other french division two players will deal with the in the face of better players and there is my other issue with it, in that this game could end up, you know, with five players wearing blue by the end of it, and half the Welsh team in the hospital. Like, right, lads, Wayne these Pivak, all come from Pro B2. Ha- can, you, uh, can you all collect your goggles on the way out? 
I was about to say. Yeah, and uh, boxes are mandatory for this game, lads. We've goggles on, boxes on. Yeah. I was, but what do you do if you pivac? Because like you've got a fucking six, you know, you've got you've got a Six Nations game against Scotland to play the week after, so you can't play a second team because you need to get your team. Play Ponty Preet at Sardis Road. That's what everyone's been, that's what's been waiting for, isn't it? That solves, doesn't that solve every problem because, in Welsh Because I'd like to see a record rugby score. <laughs> yes. Um, all they need is a chance, Josh. All these teams need is a chance to show that the so-called farce of regional rugby. Um, oh, it's mad, though. It's just steep. We're a week and a half away from that game. And as it stands, yeah, France will be fielding a bunch of children and thugs. We've not been on air since the France squad was announced. Oh, no, can I, can I get a big woot woot for <laughs> Dupont and Saran being the Demi de Melee, by the way. Only found that out recently. Demi de Melee, <laughs> scrum arm. And fucking Jalabert and Intermac being... The- <laughs> It's like, come on! It's hands, it's are, every, hands in the air, are waving around like you just don't care. From <laughs> France, I'm so like, and that's the other thing. They will rob me of a chance, an extra chance of seeing <laughs> some combination of those halfback pairings, and it's just not fair. Yeah, and, and they'll probably they'll probably stick around at ten at some point just to really. Oh yeah, why not? Rub the madness in. Yeah. Anyway, what else I got? A shit here. Doug WJ says shit. Um, I don't know if it's shit or good. It's shit, Doug. And you'll know why. And Josh will know yes. when I read this out. Is the extraordinary amount of hashtag rugby values in the post-game video of Hooper getting the wine from the Kiwis needs oh, to be discussed. God. Why are we there still are doing in, this? There are people in the world, right, that think that Michael Hooper is overrated and they're morons because <laughs> Michael Hooper is a fucking unbelievably good rugby player and always has been. However... Just, just stop it. Just stop it, guys. Dime it's not it necessary. Uh, what else have we got here? Phil says that good is the Bledisloe Cup opening. Yeah, we've done that bit. Shit, he said, despite Samson's work of scoring, Scarlet's away record, two wins out of the last 16. <laughs> Samson Lee is back, by the way. Samson and Lee is back and good, have... and Scarlet's top try scorer this season. And can I one. have, please... The due amount of respect and reverence for the fact that he's he's come back from injury and assumed his position at first receiver in most attacking battles, <laughs> which is obviously a coaching approach. Or if even better, if it isn't a coaching approach, he's just fucking deciding to do that and demanding the ball, which is even better. I hope it is that. I honestly just love it. I've just I've been genuinely he... delighted. <laughs> I, watched, I watched about ten minutes with him on the ball. And I was like. He's standing there again. He's asking for the ball again. This is the fourth phase he's asking for the ball for. He's not even carrying it. He's just handing it off. This is amazing. Him and Rob Evans are cut from a very similar brilliant cloth. It's amazing. And I'm here for it. Ali McFarlane says that shit is Ugo talking about super strengths during the extra game. I actually really like Ugo Moni. I think he is actually... Me too. He's, he's, I think he seems like a decent beca- bloke. He has become one of the, He's become one of the better analysts. But he sometimes runs in, away with it a bit, doesn't he? Yeah. Speaking of which, actually, I'll tell you what, fucking... Justin Marshall oh. is the best co-commentator. <laughs> I don't... I fucking... The bumfar stuff is funny and great and the razzle-dazzle. I love all that shit. It's very silly. But he's genuinely one of the 
most insightful and genuinely like on it co-commentators in the world. And he actually watches the game. Yeah, he's, he's absolutely. Yeah. They were, t- you know, and in that at the end when Australia were banging on the door, you know, he was saying that's a that's a penalty. <laughs> Like he was, yeah. he was incensed that Australia didn't get the penalty that would have won in the game, and I just think he's brilliant. I love watching games when he's, he's the co-coms on it. And I don't really understand. I still don't quite get, even though I like it. I don't get what Ian Smith's job is. No. The other guys. <laughs> what do you think about that, Smithy? Because well. he does, he does the cricket as well, Ian Smith. It's a, it's, he does like cricket on radio and stuff. It's really weird. What, but it I suppose just, it just works. It's just a wonderful yeah, dynamic, isn't it? I, I just, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. Aaron Cunning gets in touch and says that shit is rugby gods injuring Fekatoa eight minutes after eight minutes. Yeah, that was yeah, off the chip, it, innocuous chip and chase uh, yeah. score, wasn't it? And it, it looks like he's going to be a doubt for the final as well. Um, which is a real shame and a massive blow to Wasps, for sure. Um, Johnny says that shit is any referee at the mall. He, he says, I really don't get it, but I'm not paid to get it. They should be better. I love that. How do you know they should be better if you don't get it, Johnny? That's wonderful. <laughs> Although I know where you're coming from. But yeah, I don't know yeah, what's going yeah. on there. You should be better at dealing with this to help me understand it. Something I'm seeing, I'm seeing something here I don't like, and you should know exactly why that's happening. <laughs> uh, Rich says... Hal Karich, long-time listener, and he says, shit, is Bristol in the semi? He says, but good is Bristol's season. He says, and also personal good, Rich says, I'm now a dad. Oh, fair he said, so Bristol's newest fan is already used to them losing. I like that. That's why you <laughs> listen to this podcast, Rich. It's, 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 that's, that's our worldview in a nutshell, isn't it, really? James Gork, Roger says, that Canterbury shirts in the Mitre 10, each one of them has a different company stroke charity name above the number on the back of the shirts. So their t- so their ten has container waste over the top of it. One winger has happy hire. Props have got spinal unit over the top of theirs. <laughs> and cystic fibrosis, New Zealand. It's very confusing. That is very good. But I'm here for that. I think you should. This is how the hell clubs because I mean loads of people would pay like a few hundred quid to write something stupid on the back of a player's shirt, wouldn't they? I mean, not, we saying, not that I'm saying would. cystic fibrosis is stupid. No. But, um, well, it is stupid. We'd My say. mate died of it when he was ten, but it's uh, but yeah. So it is stupid on that level. But uh, we would certainly pay a several hundred pounds out of the money that we make to put something stupid on the back of someone's shirt. I'm trying to think of feel. what something amusing I'd write on somebody's shirt, but I'm too tired, so I'm have to think about it for next week. So yeah, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. We're not every, not every, not every every line can be a singer, mate. You know, no, it's it's ten o'clock at night. It's been a long day. That's... Hugo Gordon, finally, the final shit of the day and the final thing of this podcast, says that shit is Jacob Stockdale's goatee. Awful. And What's the whole, going on? His whole with... lid, his whole his lid whole, and facial hair is a shambles. Follicle, follicular arrangement of his entire head is it yeah. needs a somebody else needs to have a word with it. I'm not. Sure, I think I might want to go back to you know um, Georgian poet hair yeah, that he had before. I, I was I was much more into that. One, one final, speaking of... Sort As of in sartorial... Georgian period, not being from yeah. Georgia. No, no, that's a very different look. Very different look, a lot more beard. A beard that, frankly, Stockdale's not capable of. And I'm makes you definitely right not look like a poet. So No, <laughs> it makes you look like a very specific kind of Russian poet. <laughs> anyway, go on. Um, yeah, but, so before we go, uh, a final sartorial indignity is the All Blacks' new formal post-match wear 
where right. you know how like you know how clubs and teams usually wear suits to and from the game and to post match functions yes. and stuff. Your number ones, yeah. Yeah, usually supplied by a former wear supplier in this day of modern Eden sponsorship. Park or something like that. Exactly that. Uh, the All Blacks, uh, back in January, signed a deal with uh, Italian denim company Replay Denim. Um, they still going. And so... that's, a, that's a 90s brand right there, Replay. <laughs> oh, they're going. Um, yeah, have a look on my Twitter if you want to see what the All Blacks are wearing now. Uh, and But it is, is it... black jeans. Um a black denim trucker jacket with an All Blacks logo on it and a black denim western shirt with like the popper buttons and everything uh, with all, an All Blacks logo on it. It They genuinely look like the world's most threatening Johnny Cash tribute act. And Is that what Cipriani was driving for in his punditry outfit, you think, on Saturday? <laughs> Fuck me, that was a disgrace. What were his trainers about? That's why I couldn't get him there. He literally looked like he'd just come in from doing like the gardening with no shoes, but then I'd like a... So bizarre. Oh, it's, they were really it's fucking good, ramping up the impartiality, weren't they, with the two Wasp legends versus, versus the team that no, they're not legends for? Yeah, no. I mean, I suppose there's not a lot of Bristol legends kicking around in the punditry scene, but it was it was no. pretty bad, wasn't it? But yeah, so uh, I honestly think if I'm I, look, I've been on the podcast before. I've said I'm all for double denim, triple denim. Let's make it happen. But all one shade, all black shoes, black jeans, black western shirt, black trucker jacket. You just look a bit weird. I'm sorry, but you do. And I, don't get me wrong, the tr- the trucker jacket is really nice. I'd wear it. But everything else, fucking mess. What's wrong with the suit? Nothing wrong with the suit. And, and hopefully the world will be righted back to its correct position soon enough. I'm just thankful they didn't introduce it to wasps when Die Young was there. Imagine Die Young in that girl. <laughs> skinny jean. Western Black shirt. skinny jeans, black western shirt. And a trucker jacket. What I, I love mean, about Dai is he, he would literally look like he was about to get on a big rig. That's true, but what I love about Dai is he probably still have the tie on. Yeah. Because you've got to have some fucking he's standards, like, haven't you? He's got to have some fucking standards. <laughs> he's done it up. Or he'd get a Wasps branded, one of the bolo ties with the little strings. Oh, the string the thing. tie thing, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, on that note, we're definitely done. <laughs> yes. Thank you, everybody. I'll speak to you all soon. Take care. Goodbye. Take care. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.